have visited Durban, arriving at the airport, it is likely that you would have driven past an informal settlement without even realizing that this massive community of approximately 3,500 people even exists. Tucked behind a long bank of sugarcane, just off the highway between the opulent Gateway Theatre of Shopping and King Shaka International Airport, is Blackburn, home to a large Xhosa-speaking population, mostly from the Eastern Cape, and a small handful of Indian families. How did Blackburn come to be, and why has it grown into such a large settlement? To answer this, we need to go back in time. Before we get into the story of how Blackburn came to be, we'd like to tell you a bit about how we came to learn about it. My name is Sophie. And I'm Abigail. We're researchers working on a project called Narratives of Home that looks at the lived experience of citizens living in different forms of state-delivered housing. Yes, and while Blackburn is not technically state-delivered housing, it is an informal settlement receiving incremental upgrading services, which basically means getting taps, toilets and waste removal, with a plan for more services like roads and electricity. Right. So we conducted many, many site visits to chat to Blackburn residents about what home means to them. And what started to come out was a very interesting historical account of the community and some of the challenges Blackburn residents are facing. As part one of a two-part podcast, we will tell you the story of how Blackburn came to be and how it's grown. Blackburn started as a small village accommodating indentured Indian laborers way back in the 1960s. These laborers raised their families here for many years. I see some foundations of old homes with new buildings on them. But what space was there? May I remind you that this village started in 1860. 1860? By the indentured laborers who were brought from India. Yeah. This is an interview with one of the original Indian families. They are relatives of the Ali family that settled here when the area was still predominantly private farmland. They grew up in Blackburn and have witnessed the informal settlement grow around them. And in 1968 or 1970, when you were born, was it very different? Very, very, very different. From the 1860s until about the 1950s, the political climate in South Africa was becoming increasingly tense. With apartheid becoming law in the late 1940s, people were systematically and spatially separated based on race. This was mainly a result of the Group Areas Act, which was passed in 1950. This law was also applied retroactively, meaning that when it was established, if you were a non-white living in a now-designated white area, you had to move immediately. This is what happened to the Ali family, and this was how they came to arrive in Blackburn. Back in the 1950s, Blackburn wasn't considered as central as it is now, so it was more like moving out to a rural area far away from the city. When the political climate started to shift again, and the Group Areas Act was repealed in the 90s, this meant people were free to move and live in any neighborhood, unrestricted by race. In 1994, when apartheid officially ended, many new people started to flow into Blackburn, almost all of them job seekers from the Eastern Cape. The big city of Durban was seen as the land of abundant employment opportunities, especially with the enormous development of the Mshlanga Ridge Precinct, just a few kilometers from Blackburn. When one person gets here and gets work, they go back home and fetch friends, and their friends in turn do the same thing, and so on. But why do they make their way to Blackburn at all? As rumors of job opportunities in the greater Durban area filtered through to relatives and friends back home, more and more job seekers from the rural Eastern Cape started to arrive in Blackburn, with the hope of finding their way into a more lucrative urban lifestyle. On arrival, people would move in with a relative or a friend who was already living in Blackburn so that they could begin their job search without the worry of paying rent. 
Eventually, they'd ask for permission to take over the owner's shack when they moved on, or they'd construct their own room in the area. The spirit of renting is not popular. When someone leaves their home coming here, they are generally coming to a person they know and who understand their situation. So they would host you until you get work. So there are not many costs because most times you don't have to take public transport to go job hunting. The whole of Eastern Cape is here, From Bizana, Lusikisiki, Metatiele, Harding, and Komupumolo, people continued to stream into Blackburn, increasing the population density within the village and putting a strain on the limited infrastructure and the natural environment. The influx of new residents continued steadily, and with it, living conditions became increasingly difficult. Eventually, seemingly around the late 2000s, the feeling within the community started to change. I just got here, but I used to live here before, but left and went back home. But I am taken aback by this place this time around. This place tends to confuse me a lot nowadays. It was better before, back in 2003, when I was here. The reality faced by Blackburn residents is that, while comparatively there may be more employment possibilities in Durban than back home in the Eastern Cape, the available jobs aren't as plentiful as rumors might have suggested, and permanent employment is difficult to come by. Without a regular income, people are often forced into living situations that aren't of their choosing, especially if they do not have friends or family members willing to take them in. Women find themselves in this situation more often than men do. Most people here are not employed. It is worse for women. Men are able to make a plan, but women are extremely poor. Some resort to cohabitating. This cohabitating thing, women end up cohabitating unwillingly because they want to have something to eat at the end of the day. This is a polite way to say that women feel that they have no other option than to have sexual relationships with men for security and food. Another challenge that comes with high unemployment is crime. That's what causes crime, because no employer can employ everyone. That is why we now have to watch our environment. Before, we used to not care about locking doors. Nowadays, they get in and you come back and your food is stolen. When people arrive in Blackburn, many say they are surprised by what they find. They are surprised by the rubbish, the shacks, and the general inadequate living conditions, compared to where they come from in the Eastern Cape. Many people find the conditions very alarming. In my head, I thought we'd be living in a government-subsidized house. Can you see the litter in this area? Living in such a place has kids constantly sick. You also need to keep a close watch on your kids because this place is not safe. Can you see how this place is? In addition to poverty that comes with joblessness, the difficulties of a Blackburn resident are compounded by the lack of basic services and amenities for the area. Like all informal settlements, the community had not been planned for and service delivery happens in retrospect and often slower than demand. Basic services like water and sanitation, electricity and waste removal are substandard. This makes it unsafe, especially for children. I am not happy about the idea of living with my kids in this place because they can't play freely. You know, before we used to go walk down to the bus stop and take without fear. Now my kids no, don't yeah. go down because it's fear with them. 
All because we have kids. And the illegal electrical wiring is the first real big fear that comes to mind. Sometimes it may happen that there's power outage while you have the ports on the stove and you forget to switch the stove off. You leave for work and maybe while you are there, the power comes back. Burns the food in the port and burns the port. After a while, the house catches fire. Neighboring houses will also catch fire because the roofs are covered in plastic. We need electricity quite a lot, and this place has no roads. Sharks burn because it is squashed up so the firefighter trucks can't get through to help. Truly speaking, one comes across the reality of how dirty the place is, because the trash is picked up on Wednesdays only, and they only take waste that is in the municipality packets. We don't have people who would clean and maintain the place. And even though communal toilets were built in Blackburn, the services are inadequate. It feels like we don't have any toilets because they block easily and a year would go past without them working. They will be fixed and work for two days. After two days, they are blocked. We are not different to people living in a forest. There is a general feeling of fear. People do not feel safe in this environment. Because when it gets late, you are not safe at the bus stop down by the bridge. It's not safe because people don't work and do nothing but smoke drugs. I can't relax and feel safe here. Whereas back home, I can. I don't see this place as home because you can die anytime here. You are not safe when you live here. What becomes clear is that people see their stay at Blackburn as a transition space. They're not going to live here forever. This is not their home. I would say it's a temporary living space. Because I can never call it home. I can live anytime. Home is, for the majority of them, in the Eastern Cape. They are here in Blackburn and they put up with these extremely difficult living conditions for one reason. Jobs. This research was commissioned by the Urban Future Centre at the Durban University of Technology and was funded by NRF Blue Skies Fund. Thanks to those who assisted us in the field and with translation. Owetu Bendizi, Madudu Kumalo, Talita Mashedi, and Linda Laz. As well as Tongat Hewlett, Etiquini Department of Human Settlements, and the residents of Blackburn who shared their stories with us. Research was conducted by Sophie McManus, Abby Kemper, and Russell Slangwane. The podcast was produced and scripted by Candace McGregor and edited and mixed by Tristan Horton.